What is religious trauma syndrome? That's a term that is becoming used more and more in the therapeutic community and in uh, many counseling circles as well. But what is religious trauma syndrome? That's going to be our topic today on this episode of The Unhappy Christian. My name is Dr. Rick Peterson. I am your host for this series of podcasts where we discuss how to move away from counterfeit Christianity and the toxic spirituality that it produces and back into the green pastures of genuine Christian faith as it is marked by joyful spiritual living. So what is religious trauma syndrome? As I just mentioned, it is a a diagnosis that is not yet in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, or what is commonly referred to simply as the DSM. It is a subclinical diagnosis in that the religious element is seldom diagnosed. And so people continue to participate, consequently, in the very thing that is destroying them. That is toxic religious Um, environments. So the effects of religious trauma syndrome, the affects, the um, uh, symptoms, if you will, are very similar to PTSD. In fact, it's a form of PTSD, and it can be either an event that occurs, something that happens within a a one-time event within a church or a, a religious environment, or it can be complex trauma, meaning that it is something that is the result of continual, ongoing, traumatic experiences within a religious environment. So, most often, religious trauma syndrome, or RTS, is the result of a present or past association with an authoritarian, controlling, abusive leadership and environments which support the abusers and dismiss any attempt by the abused to resist. And these leaders in these uh, uh, church environments will use gaslighting, shunning. They'll accuse them of being divisive if they speak up against it. Uh, And so there's a sense of isolation, serious isolation that comes with uh, religious trauma syndrome. There's also a sense that you are is crazy making that you there's something wrong with you, and you'll even be told that in, at times that there's something wrong with you. You're you're the problem, when clearly, if you believe your own eyes, if you believe your own ears, and and, and especially if you are a genuine Christian, meaning you've been born of the Spirit, the Spirit is dwelling in you, you are aware that you have a a built-in discernment. The Spirit himself is discerning what's false and what's true for you. And so you see falsehood, you hear falsehood, you experience falsehood, and you're not comfortable with it. But if you're in an environment that is given over to it, you may be made to feel that you're the problem, that you're the, you're the issue, that you're just being divisive, that you're just being... Um, critical, that you need to just quiet down, that you need to either either that or go find another church or uh, this kind of a thing. Now, it's interesting to me that the most vulnerable 
to this syndrome are those who have suffered developmental trauma due to being preconditioned to such abuse in their family of origin. So in other words, it's an easy leap from experiencing family trauma to replicating that trauma within a church family later in life. Just like it is an easy leap to move from an uh, abusive or neglectful um, family environment into a marriage, into a relationship, uh, an adult relationship in which that abuse is replicated. And, and like any other form of toxicity, it only gets worse. It, it is, there's a downward spiral. So it's very important to identify it early if possible. But at any stage, it's very important that you begin to trust the signals that your body is giving you. You know, we can, we can deny our own thoughts. We can rationalize our, our thinking. We can, we can develop toxic or stinking thinking, if you will. Um, uh, and we can suppress our emotions. Uh, but our bodies will never lie to us. I mean, if you're in a church environment, where you step into that environment once a week or twice a week, however many times you're there, and your body goes crazy. You're suffering from migraines. You're suffering from stomach aches. You're suffering from, from uh, overall um, anxiety uh, attacks. Um, if you're suffering severe spiritual depression, if you can't sleep well, um, if, if there's um, a loss of interest in other things outside the church, these are all... And if especially if you're experiencing nightmares or sweats, that kind of thing, that you had not been experiencing, at least to this degree in the past, then those, those are simply your body signaling to you that there's something wrong and you're in denial of it. You're, you're refusing to acknowledge the truth of the situation. So those who are most vulnerable to religious uh, trauma syndrome are those who have suffered some form of developmental trauma along the way. And it's, again, an easy leap to move from the family of origin into a, a marriage or a church environment and or a church environment in which you simply replicate that trauma. And in the replication of it, it becomes worse. It becomes even more toxic than the original trauma. But that is where God has made provision. God has made provision for uh, the healing of even our family of origin issues as part of our redemption. So let me speak to that for just a few moments. When we come to Christ, we, have, we are the latest generation of a, of a long history of humanity, beginning with Adam, that is in rebellion, in defiance, spiritual death, and that's playing out in our relationships with one another, uh, particularly within our family systems. Whereas God designed the family to be the venue in which his character, his glory, his love is displayed and passed on from generation to generation to generation. So in sin, in the fallenness of our humanity, Satan himself has made himself lord of the family, if you will. And, and so there are patterns of abuse and 
uh, substance abuse and alcoholism and violence and, and uh, certain characteristics of each family that represent this fallenness, this brokenness of the Adamic uh, humanity. Uh, and that gets, of course, passed on to generation after generation after generation. There are, in fact, family systems that literally become extinct as a result of their dysfunction, their, their, their flirting and their embracing of evil. And so you may get um, uh, a family that's in its fifth and sixth and seventh generation of serious evil behavior, serious dysfunction, serious sexual molestation and violence and things in, the, in a family that has become normative. I know that's hard for you to believe, in fact, that that could anywhere be normative, but it does happen. I mean, we, we live in a, if you're my age, I'm 66, if you grew up in my era, you grew up with Father's Knows Best and Leave it to Beaver and um, uh, these other family images that were just uh, not true. I mean, in fact, today I look at those programmings, those old programmings and um, some of the family um, programming, and it, and I look at those families, and uh, especially the Cleavers with Leave It to Beaver, and it it, it was just really indicative indicative of the uh, dysfunction of the American family. It looked good, it was funny, we learned to laugh at it, but it was it was pretty bad. <laughs> Even Father Knows Best with Robert Young and some of the old uh, Ozzy and Harriet, uh, some of those uh, uh, programming. So we, we've tried hard, my point is, we've tried hard in the American mindset to, to project an image of, of what family looks like, but, but uh, there's only two types of family, those who are uh, fully engrossed in the Adamic destructive patterns of family, and those who are being redeemed, those who are in process. There's no such thing, even in this life, as a perfect family, no matter what family you grew up in, even if you grew up in a Christian family. I dare say, particularly if you grew up in a Christian family, you're going to experience some kind of contrast there. Uh, you, there may be a lot of good things happening in your family as a result of the re redemption that you're experiencing, but there's still going to be dysfunction. There's still going to be some of the Adamic uh, behaviors that come through. Now, so I mentioned a few moments ago that this is this is something that's been been made provision for. For example. In 1 Peter 1, 17 through, um, well, let's go down to verse 21. We read this. If you address the, as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Let's pause there. From your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So here Peter is assuring us that while we may be in a or from a family tradition or a family system, religious and otherwise, 
that that is very entrenched. In fact, the in, the um, the point here, the implication of this text, is that the family tradition is so entrenched and so ingrained within us that only the blood of Christ can break that chain, can break those bonds, and release you into the redemption that Christ has died to provide for you. So that it is not necessary to simply say, well, that's how my family uh, was, and that's how I was raised, and that's how I'll always be. That's just not the case. We are, we are called to move away from those old family patterns. That's part of what Jesus meant, of course, when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and his father and his sister and his brothers and so on, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We, we never, we must never place family loyalties above our loyalty to Christ. I know that focus on the family and some of the other family programming that came out of Christian radio and TV uh, in the 80s and 90s uh, seemed to do that. And it was really just making the family a point of idolatry as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we need to see the fam our families for who they really are, not as we would have them be. And there's not a family on the planet, Christian or otherwise, that is not suffering from some form of a damnic hangover. So, that's very important to understand. And so those who come out of those toxic family environments, and that's on a continuum. Let me say that too. That's on a continuum. Anywhere from zero to ten. Zero to four, chances are you have survived your family pretty well. You can, you'll be relatively functional when you leave your family of, of origin. Uh, from five to six to seven, eight, you're going to come out with some compulsive behaviors. You're going to some way of coping with things that went on in your family of origin, uh, some unresolved issues that affect how you uh, form and maintain or your inability to form and maintain healthy relationships as an adult. And you get into the seven, eight, and ten level of that continuum. And then you're dealing with wholesale evil. Where, where you're just simply passing on psychopathic or sociopathic behaviors into your family system. Um, and so it's very important to be aware of what has happened in your family of origin, what that was, and refuse, please, I beg you, it's not theologically or biblically sound at all to assume that you came from this wonderful family. I mean, we all want to think our families are wonderful, at least many of us do. We, none of us want to look back on our family experience and say it was all evil, because it wasn't. I mean, there are those that are. Don't get me wrong. But generally speaking, there are those, most families do their best. Most parents do the best that they can with what they've got. It's just that what they've got is something they too inherited. So please be willing. If you're going to escape religious trauma, you have to be willing to step back and look at the family of origin and say, well, what was it like for me growing up? How was I groomed in my family of origin to carry those patterns into my adult relationships? And especially, particularly in this context, 
the relationship with the church. And so this, this is very profound stuff we're talking about here. So this religious trauma syndrome is something for which we are groomed for in childhood. And we bring it into later on into our adult relationships, including the church. Now, a few other points here. Uh, some psychologists uh, go so far as to unjustly make all religion the problem. There are books coming out now. Um, one of them is Leaving the Fold by, um, I'm trying to remember her name. Let me see here. I think it's Marlene Wannell, W-I-N-E-L-L. -L. And she's, she seems to point the blame at all conservative Christianity. Uh, that, 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 she gives a kind of a, a blanket sweep. And, and I think that's really unjust to do. I mean, she makes some very good points in the book, uh, Leaving the Fold. But she, she gives a real broad brush approach, and I think that's unjust. Um, and there are other secular psychologists who, who um, simply blow off all religion as being of any use to anyone. And the best thing you can do for your mental health is get away from religion and so on and so on and so on. But that's a major mistake. It's, it's also an irrational response on the part of my peers. Um, they, nobody would say that all psychologists are abusers because some sexually violate their clients. Nor would they say that all parents are evil because some abuse their children. Or that all doctors are quacks because some commit malpractice, or lawyers, or police officers, and so on. It reminds me also of how people from broken homes often avoid marriage later in life and choose rather to cohabitate as if marriage itself is the problem. So it's really unjust to to just say, well, because there are there is evil at work within many, uh, within counterfeit Christianity. In fact, they don't even make a distinction between counterfeit Christianity and true Christianity. They lay the blame at religion for the religious trauma at the feet of Christianity as a whole, especially conservative Christianity. They don't make any distinction between truth and falsehood and good and evil in society. Really? We must be, prepare, be prepared to do that. So now there is this phenomenon in which uh, the devil is at, at work, Satan's at work to present his own form of counterfeit Christianity. And part of his goal, if not the major purpose for him for doing that, is to bring blasphemy against God is to, to present this counterfeit, toxic, destructive Christianity, violent uh, Christianity, in which evil is very dominant, and, and then get people to conclude, well, that's just Christianity. That's just religion as a whole. Again, that's a very irrational state. That's a very irrational conclusion. There is truth and falsehood. There is good and evil. And they must be willing to admit that the same reality exists within religious environments. So this is a trap that we must avoid. I want to stress that strongly today. I, I talk with people in my counseling office 
who have concluded that all Christianity is bad for them. So they've, they've, they've taken the bait. I mean, I realize, I understand the pain of thinking that what you believed to be your solution, and that is becoming a Christian and becoming part of the church, turned out to be something that was destructive to you and it's, it's understandable, then, that you would come to a conclusion that, that Christianity itself was your problem. But what I'm suggesting to you today strongly, in fact, what I'm insisting today strongly, is, is please don't bite that bait. Don't bite that hook. It's a satanic trap. And so while there is evil and there are those who bring blasphemy to God, and, and, and this has always been, this has been a historic problem throughout redemptive history. That there was, in Ezekiel, God talks, the prophet talks about how that, um, uh, that the Israel and their behaviors were bringing blasphemy to the name of God amongst the nations. And I believe it's in Romans chapter 2 that Paul says the same thing about the behavior of, of some religious people in his time that were uh, acting in such ways that their behavior was such that it was actually bringing um, blasphemy to the name of God and his character. So while there is evil and there is falsehood at work in the name of Christ, I mean, evil is never more insidious than when it is cloaked in religious garb. Never more insidious than when it is cloaked in religious garb. But that does not for one moment mean that evil defines Christianity. That is an absurd conclusion. That is an absurd statement. So we must be willing to recognize the presence of counterfeit Christianity. If you've been listening to these podcasts for any length of time, you're 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 very aware of the fact that I that I'm pounding on that, I'm insisting on that, and that we must avoid it if we are to be spiritually healthy. And because if we're not spiritually healthy, folks, we're not going to be mentally or physically healthy, and our relationships are going to suck. It's a problem. It's a serious problem, and it all begins with finding spiritual health. So the problem for us today is that falsehood is so prevalent. It's difficult. It takes effort to distinguish the true from the false. As the old saying goes, the last thing that a goldfish discovers is water because he is so surrounded by it. So we must be prepared to avoid and identify and avoid the falsehood. We must be prepared to recognize the counterfeit Christianity does exist and that if we've gotten involved in it, it doesn't mean that, that's, that Christianity is the problem. It simply means that we've gotten involved in something that we carried forward from our family of origin most likely and perhaps not in every case. I don't want to be dogmatic about this. But but generally speaking, there is that syndrome where we carry forward from our family of origin into our adult relationships, and particularly, in this case, the church, 
certain patterns of relating and doing relationship that get more and more destructive as the older we get. That's why you get so many people who are professing Christ and and participating in in addictive behavior, uh, either with alcohol or drugs or some other compulsive behavior, because they're coping. They're simply trying to cope with something that is yet to be resolved. And so uh, even religion itself can become a coping mechanism rather than something that's life-giving and freeing, which Jesus uh, died to make that available for. So um, let's, uh, let's continue our look at this then. Um, so I want to share with you a little bit of my personal story, but I'm not going to take the time to do that today. We'll, we'll take a couple of episodes here and, uh, and discuss this religious trauma syndrome. I get letters uh, from you or emails from you, uh, some of you, that talk about how that you've left the corporate church and you've left the institutional thing or that you've been abused or you're, you're needing some balm on your soul having had a toxic experience with, with churches and that you're meeting in your homes now or you're meeting with a small group of people and you're encouraging one another and I, I'm excited to hear that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, that you're not just giving up altogether, that you're, you're not taking the bait, you're not biting the hook. Uh, but you're, you're aware that you, there is freedom, there is deliverance, there is healing, there is restoration, and that you don't have to be a big part of a big happening church for that to happen. I, quite frankly, I'm not sold on the mega church movement I, at all. I, I think there's more harm there than, than is, is done than good by every, in every sense. It's, it's, a, it's a Walmart form of Christianity that doesn't seem to bring much healing in life into people's uh, daily living. I'm sure there are exceptions, so don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be dogmatic even on that point. But I'm just saying we have to look at these things from a, from a generalized basis. So I want to talk with you in the next episode about my own personal story of religious trauma syndrome and how, how I recovered from it. Um, and then we'll talk, too, in, in, a, in an episode about how that certain, our, our, our very Protestant background itself tends to enable us with our personal salvation. We put so much emphasis on personal salvation that we forget that we are, uh, that a, a true measure of our Christianity is our ability to form and maintain healthy relationships with one another. That uh, we simply don't just get to say a simple prayer, believe in Jesus, and then no matter how I treat you, or no matter how you treat me, or how we treat each other for that matter, uh, it really doesn't matter. That's just unbiblical, it's, it's destructive, it's a lie that we need to expose and quit participating in. So in the next few episodes, I'll talk about my own personal story. I want to share some of that with you. And then I'll also talk about uh, how we can um, be better um, equipped to, to bring some balance into our understanding of justification by faith alone so that we uh, recognize that, that Christianity is not a lone ranger 
religion. It's not something that we we certainly experience it on a personal level, uh, but it, it is a communal religion. It is something that it is intended to be experienced as, in a whole as a community as well. So, um, so we'll talk about that more then. But uh, I just wanted to give you today an introduction into what is religious trauma syndrome. So let me just take a, a last couple minutes here and just, just review. So I've told you today that, that religious trauma syndrome, well, it's not in the DSM. It's not a formal diagnosis. It is um, something that reflects a form of PTSD. And it is that comes as a result of a past association with excuse me, authoritarian, controlling, abusive leaders and or environments which support the abusers and uh, create a, and dismiss any attempt by the abused people to resist that abuse. Uh, so it becomes an enabling of the abusers. Uh, this is very common in cults, very common. But believe me, folks, and please hear me clearly now, there is a lot of cult-like behavior going on in the Western Evangelical Church today, and it must stop. And I invite you to join me. Let's square our shoulders as Christians. Let's square our shoulders as lovers of Christ, as, as those who love the truth, and start squaring our shoulders and, and identifying these cult-like behaviors especially amongst these celebrity pastors these days in these big mega churches and start calling it out for what it is and saying, I will not participate in that anymore for the sake of Jesus. Part of what drives me, I'm not an angry man. I, I don't, I'm not here raging or ranting. I do these podcasts because I grieve and it breaks my heart when I see the name of Jesus being drunk, drugged through the mud by charlatans and false teachers and counterfeit Christianity so that the most precious thing on the planet, and that is being able to be united with Jesus Christ and to know and experience his presence in your daily life and become part of the grand narrative of God's redemptive story is shut off, shut up to people because they see the charlatans, they see the cult-like behavior. And let me say it again, there is a lot of cult-like behavior within American Protestantism, especially within evangelical and, and Pentecostal circles. And we must, I invite you, I beg you to join me to begin to square your shoulders together. Let's join hands and let's, and let's say no to this. So, this <laughs> little sidebar there. So, and, um, and I told you today that some psychologists will treat religious trauma syndrome as, as a result of Christianity as a whole. And I've said that, that is an irrational response. They wouldn't say that about any other profession. They wouldn't say that about any other institution, but they will about Christianity. And that just shows you that the devil is trying to make inroads. So we'll stop there for now today, and um, we'll pick it up in our next 
episode and we'll talk more about my personal story and about what we can do to recapture the doctrine of justification by faith alone within a theological context that does not enable this kind of abuse. Well, may the Lord continue to strengthen you in all that you do for him, and may you come to understand better what it means to walk in wholeness and in the joyful spirituality that Jesus Christ died to bring you. Amen.